I'm Dr. Molly Ness, host of the End Book Deserts podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And this week I've got Karen Gross. That's right. She's back on after last week's episode where we talked about Wrinkles Doesn't Like Social Distancing. If you haven't listened to that one, you need to go back. She's written a great children's story to help kids understand social distancing using her dog, Wrinkles. It's awesome. I'll have the links in the show notes, by the way. This week, Karen is on talking about an article she wrote called Schools and Colleges Are Not Light Switches, and it's all about reopening school. That's right, because we got to be thinking and making plans about that, and she's got some ideas. By the way, Karen is a she's an author of many different books. That's right, and she's got a new one coming out in June. It's called Trauma Doesn't Stop at the School Door, Strategies and Solutions for Educators Pre-K Through College. It's coming out June 2020, and it's got all kinds of great activities ideas how to deal with the different traumas that the students are going through right now and uh, we're going to be dealing with that when they come back to school whenever that is right so if you use this code capital t capital l capital l 2020 you can get 15 percent off each book ordered as well as free shipping that's right so you go to tcpress.com slash karen dash gross and you will find the link for the book, Trauma Doesn't Stop at the School Door. And if you want to order that, it's pre-ordering now or ordering it when it comes out in June. You use the code capital T, capital L, capital L. It's case sensitive, by the way. 2020. So TLL 2020. Capital T, capital L, capital L 2020. You'll get 15% off and free shipping for for the books that you order there. So uh, keep that in mind. Trauma doesn't stop at the schoolhouse door coming out in June. You can pre-order it now and you got that special code uh, for being listeners of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. That's right. So uh, make sure that you go put that in. Thanks for being here today. Lots to learn today because you're going to realize that if you haven't started planning for reopening, it's not just like flipping on and off the light switch. Great stuff today. By the way, don't forget the links so you can go back and you can listen to Wrinkles doesn't like social distancing. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Take care, stay safe, and don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Karen Gross. And uh, recently we talked about wrinkles doesn't like social distancing. And now we're going to talk a little bit about what's going to happen when this is all over and we have to reopen schools. Uh, Karen's written an article called Schools and Colleges Are Not Light Switches. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So just let me remind you about Karen. Karen uh, Gross is a Washington, D.C.-based author and educator, as well as an advisor to nonprofit schools, organizations, and governments. Her work focuses on student success with a specialization in trauma. It's symptoms and approaches to its amelioration. She has worked with institutions planning for and dealing with person and nature-made disasters, including shooting, suicides, immigration, 
immigration detention, family dysfunction, hurricanes, and floods. She currently serves as senior counsel to Finn Partners. She is an instructor in continuing education at Rutgers University Graduate School of Social Work and also sits on the advisory council at the Center for Minority Serving Institutions at Rutgers. She's a visiting professor at Bennington College and artist in residence at Molly Stark Elementary School, Vermont. She is the award-winning author of Breakaway Learners, Strategies for Post-Secondary Success and Failure and Forgiveness, Replacing the Bankruptcy System. And she's also the author of a trauma-sensitive children's book series called Lady Lucy's Quest. And she's read to more than 3,000 children across the globe. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome back, and I'm looking forward to this talk. Nice to be with you again, and nice to be with your listeners. This is not an easy time for people. So I know people listen to your podcasts, and I'm hopeful that I can share some thoughts that will be helpful. Well, I greatly appreciate you being here, and it's going to be very helpful. And just to kind of refresh people's memory, I want them to go back and listen to, uh, we just recently posted uh, Wrinkles Doesn't Like Social Distancing, which is a children's story to help your, you as parents and teachers have the conversation with young children about social distancing and why we have it and, uh, and the feelings that might come about. Uh, anything you want to say about that before we move into our new topic? So the, the children's story um, is an effort to help kids process the feelings they're having. And these are hard feelings, feelings of confusion, feelings of sadness. And, you know, when people said to me, well, aren't kids really thrilled to be off school? It's like an extended snow day. I said, no, actually not at all. This is really traumatic. It has all the indicia of trauma. So the story is designed to be read to and with kids. It's in a YouTube version with and without music. But the best part is that Steve recorded it in his amazing voice. So you can listen to him read the wrinkle story. And you can watch the video at the same time. But you can also just listen to him and look at the pictures of wrinkles and it's spectacular, really spectacular. You are too kind, Karen. Thank you so much. And, but thank you so much for a wonderful story that so helps explain the, uh, helps parents and teachers explain to, to children uh, what's going on. And uh, Wrinkles is such an expressive dog, which is awesome. And uh, I'll have in the show notes, I'll have links to everything that Karen's talking about with Wrink Wrinkles doesn't like so social distancing. And Well, uh, one really important thing, just... It's hard for kids to open up about these issues, maybe hard with some of their parents because they're not used to necessarily sharing these kinds of feelings, but they can relate to wrinkles. So wrinkles is a dog, right? And it seems safer to relate to him and then to share about him. So I have an activity that kids can do. So this is based on a number of people who've given me feedback on the book. So kids read the book, they feel really bad for Wrinkles. Wrinkles is really sad. He can't see his friends. He can't go to work. He doesn't understand it. He keeps saying, well, I'm cute still, aren't I? I mean, like, help me understand this. Anyway, my suggestion is that after it's read to kids, like in a classroom setting online, that teachers have students write Wrinkles a letter saying 
how they feel about his situation and if they have some suggestions for him so he can be happier. And they can send those letters to me. Um, my contact information is all over the place. Um, and I think it will help kids because helping others actually makes one feel good. So this way they can relate to wrinkles, they can write about his feelings and they can send him their thoughts on what might help him do better. That's awesome. I love it. And uh, so I'll make sure. I want those letters. That's awesome. You guys got to, you guys got to bring those letters. That's going to be, you got to make sure that wrinkles gets letters. Cause that's awesome stuff there. Karen, thanks for doing that. That's, that's then, great. Then feedback. He'll open his mail, right? Yes, exactly. Just like he played with the tissue paper. I like that too. That in right. and that book. <laughs> nice. That's, that's, I love that activity because that would give them an opportunity to, you know, share how they feel and what they're thinking when they, um, see him and hear the words. So I love that. Very so. cool. Good stuff. So, so today we're going to shift gears and we're talking about, you've written an article called schools and colleges are not light switches. And so we're going to talk about what's going to happen when we reopen. Cause like in my state, as of yesterday, all the schools are closed for the rest of the year. And one of the topics is we're going to open again at some point. What's that going to be like? And how do we do it? So what do you want to say? Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Well, let, let's start with how we closed schools. And um, I think we closed schools, sadly, like they were light switches. We just literally flipped them off. And we didn't think through a number of the issues that come when you shut down a school or a college. And... So one of the things that's very clear is we were not prepared to shut down. But we have an opportunity now to be prepared to reopen. And we can't reopen like turning a light switch back on, like literally flipping the switch. We have to reopen thoughtfully and with planning and preparation. And if the coronavirus has taught us anything, although I think it's actually taught us a lot, it's the preparation, advanced preparation is really important. And just as an aside, I, I, um, I sent this article out to read and somebody said to me, oh, it's way too early. I said, way too early? No, actually, it might be too late. Come on, realize the value of preparing. So, that's my first thought. That's awesome because it is, you know, it, it, with the uh, notice that we're having to close all the schools now, because originally what was happening was we were closed until March 31st. And then the word came out, uh, we're now going to be closed through April 24th. And then yesterday, April 2nd, we got notice that, no, we're now closed for the rest of the year. And so thoughts are on the idea that, okay, well, we, we're going to have, we're going to reopen eventually. So how's that going to work? And, and so I think this is very timely because people are thinking about that now, because in the closing of schools, it did work almost exactly like what you described, which is turn off the lights, shut the doors and uh, let's figure this out from home. And, uh, you know, in some cases I know schools that they, they brought their staff back in the next week and said, okay, you're going to be allowed to be here for about 30 minutes. 
We're going to give you some additional instruction if you need it in uh, online classes. Uh, otherwise, it's all going to happen online, and we're going to teach you how to how to do the online. And in some cases, there are many schools that were all set for it because they've done stuff like this where they did one-on-one -on -one initiatives and stuff like this with laptops, so they were a little bit better prepared. What sort of, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about that uh, flipping the switch. What do you, I mean, what do you think is just not good about uh, just shutting them down like that? The, the experience of the pandemic has been traumatic. It's got all the indicia of trauma, which means that it takes away what I call the five S's, structure, stability, security, subtlety, meaning personalization of education, and lastly, someone or someones that students can relate to beyond a parent. And we know that to function well, Kids need all five S's, stability, security, structure, subtlety, and someone. And when school shuts down, those go away. And it's no shock, by the way, that online learning has led to high absenteeism because the stability structure parts of what happens in school are missing. So is the someone's. So is the subtlety, because the learning is more generic. So the, the point is that now, between shutdown and reopening in brick and mortar, whether one is or isn't engaged with students online, we have what I'm going to call the COVID gap or the corona gap. And the question for me is, okay, now, what can we do in this corona gap to enable reopening to work better than closing? Can we anticipate the issues and the questions? Can we brainstorm solutions? Can we do things now that will make reopening easier based on how we engage with students over the next few months? So. Those are my overview thoughts before we turn to specifics. Yeah, and I love it because that's, you know, it's so, these, these thoughts are right there that we are going to come back at some point and there's going to be some probably changes in the way we do things. And, and there's going to be other stuff that we're just not going to know what to think about. One of the things that I, I think is really going to be interesting is the uh, focus of the adults and the focus of the kids when they come back. <laughs> is it going to be like uh, just yesterday we, went home or is it going to feel more like, uh, wow, did I go to school here one time? <laughs> well, I think we have to also recognize that many of the adults will have experienced trauma too, quite separate and apart from the trauma the students have experienced. So the teachers will face a, a double trauma problem. One is their own trauma from what has happened. And you know, the level of that trauma certainly depends on that person and what's happened in this gap period and whether they've had experience with death and dying and illness and separation and quarantine and isolation before this, and whether they've been worried about their own parents, grandparents, children, whatever. When they come back and the children are traumatized, it's really easy 
for that trauma to literally spread like a virus to the teachers who then get secondary trauma. So the teachers have both primary and secondary trauma that they'll be confronting. And I, I think we've got to be honest about how hard this is. And I think we also have to be honest that this isn't going to right itself, as in writing a ship, isn't going to right itself immediately. This is a long-term set of issues here. And so when kids act out or um, kids become isolated or you have a really bad day, there's no guarantee that tomorrow will be a whole lot better. I think one has to take a long haul view here to what it will take to get schools up and running well. And I, I wanna stress the importance of getting the environment ready for learning. It's not like you can just open the books and say, where were we before we were so rudely interrupted by a pandemic, right? That's so, so, so true. How you restart, what you cover, how you deal with each other, things you can institute really matter. You know, that's, you've got me thinking about, uh, if we just talk about the adults for a minute, having that double trauma, the, uh, you know, depending on what's going on in their world, aside from the virus, but because of the pandemic happening, they've had to learn some new skills and some of which some already had these skills, but they hadn't had to use them very much. Um, but for the most part, you have a large population of adults who had to learn some new skills about working online and with families and fam and they've had to, they've had to adjust, make some adjustments as they realize that we can't just give them lots of work and we, we have to actually run online classes and they've had adjustments from the parents who've figured out that sometimes they can't just let the child sit in front of that computer um, and uh, you know, that they're kind of feeling trapped also. And, you know, when we go to reopen these buildings, it's going to be interesting as to some of the, you know, some of the nervousness uh, or the anxiety that, that appears when you're a brand new teacher or a new teacher into a building that you've not worked in before. You know, I wonder if some of that's going to appear, like what, what's going to be like when the group of kids is in my class? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be able to handle it? Or, or am I going to have one of those students who's going to challenge me, you know, Am I going to have a parent meeting the first day of school? Um, I start thinking about all those things running through my mind. So I actually think that um, everything that you're describing is going to happen. And I, um, I wrote a book that's coming out in June um, that I thought was, when written, really relevant. It's called Trauma Doesn't stop at the school door. And it was about the fact that we've had school shootings and we've had suicides and floods and hurricanes and earthquakes and fires. And what are we doing within our schools to make them trauma sensitive? And never in my wildest dreams, and the book is filled with strategies at both the micro and macro level for creating trauma responsive schools, Never for a moment did I think that the book would be coming out in the middle of, of an enormous trauma. Um, 
where reopening schools in a trauma-sensitive way, trauma-responsive way, could not be more important. Um, and so in, in one of life's ironies, I, I, I've been talking to the publisher about seeing how quickly we can get the book out. It's now set to come out in June um, of 2020 which is not that far away. And given that schools aren't restarting until September, there's enough time for people to read all or parts of it so that they don't feel so lost and don't feel so unmoored um, in terms of how to re-enter the world that will be changed on a go-forward basis. You were kind of connected with the world when you were writing this book, I think, because um, the timing is going to be very, very much appropriate for uh, people needing suggestions on how to do these things, to work with the types of trauma that the adults and children will be dealing with. Um, now, now, I understand that, you know, like one of the things that you talk about in your in your article, Schools and Colleges Are Not Light Switches, you get into three strategies that you think they need to be focused on now. Um, one of them, you talked a little bit about that, uh, the corona gap. Do you want to kind of go through those strategies for a minute? Sure, I'm happy to. So just keep in mind that all the strategies are derived from the literature on trauma and trauma symptomology and how to ameliorate trauma. But let's be really clear and blunt. Once you've experienced trauma, it doesn't go away. The, the goal is to figure out ways to navigate through it and with it. It becomes part of who you are. It's part of your life legacy. It's part of your institution's legacy. And pretending it didn't happen um, doesn't work over the long haul. So the first strategy is one that can be put in place right now. And that's a strategy that asks teachers and administrators to connect not only with each other right now, but to connect with their students on a regular and consistent basis, whether they do that through an online learning platform, through email, through telephone, through texting, it doesn't matter actually how it happens, it matters that it happened. And I, I just saw a post about a young girl who was struggling with her online math homework. And not unlike many children, her family wasn't able to help her do the math. Um, I actually remember those days myself and um, I, I remember saying to my father, that's not how you do it. That's not what I was taught. And he kept saying, well, it doesn't matter as long as you get the answer right. And I said, no, it really does matter. Anyway, the kid's struggling. And the next picture you see is the teacher outside her living room window with a whiteboard showing the student the various steps to solve the math problem. And he's out there on his hands and knees with this whiteboard. Neat. And she's inside looking out at him. So here's the point. When that kid goes back to school, she will already have felt a connection 
with that teacher. Consider what you do now, like putting money in a bank, making deposits. You are going to need to pull the money out when the school reopens. But if you have enough saved, enough built in, then it will make the start of school easier. So that's my first suggestion. And we'll just encapsulate it in the word connect. Love it. That's, you know, it's, it's really cool. Cause you see this with uh, families now when they'll, they'll actually people seem to be wanting to just talk about anything right now <laughs> with anybody <laughs> running into that a lot. <laughs> it's hard. It's very hard. All right. So connect, by the way, it's helpful when you connect to use the student's name. So they know you're not just like sending a mass email out. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? I've been thinking about you. And hi, Jason. Have you had a chance to do any exercise today? I've been, you know, wondering how you're doing since you do sports all the time. You get the idea. All right. The second suggestion has to do with um, the planning that teachers and administrators need to do together to reopen. So most schools set aside a few days or a week for faculty and staff to get together before school reopens. And I'm suggesting that they triple that. Whatever that length of time is, triple it. And get together and talk about a range of issues from the mundane to the profound. So for example, that group should ask, should we take down everything that's on the walls when we shut the school down and clean out all the school students' desks so they come back to a clean school as if they were starting a new year? Wait, do they go back to the same classroom? Do they go to the next grade up? What do we do about the divide between where the kids are now in terms of learning? And we certainly don't start with tests and quizzes and placement activities. And how do we then think about the material? It's not like we pick up and say, gee, we were on page 67 before, let's just open back up to page 67. Do we need different learning materials? Do we need different learning strategies? Might we think about when everybody comes in, their autonomic nervous system is going to be on high alert. They're not going to be ready to engage in content learning. They first have to get psychosocially ready. And all those psychosocial skills that schools work so hard on, um, scheduling, um, following rules, being nice to others, working in groups, collaboration, getting over failure, trying again. All of those have been missing for the last one, two, three, four, five, six months. So I think teachers and administrators have to get themselves on the same page and ask the really hard questions like, should we be using different materials? I mean, are the books we were reading the right books to be reading now? Should we maybe start with a different set of books? 
Are we going to increase the amount of art and music in the beginning to get kids more comfortable? What do we do about kids who left? What do we do about kids who are new? What do we do about kids where their families have lost someone? Do we do memorials? Do we pretend it isn't happening? How do we operate on everything from what the place looks like to what it feels like to what we do day to day? So for an easy example, one hopes that at the start of school, every single person who works there who isn't covering a homeroom, assuming there are homerooms, um, has to be at the front door meeting and greeting the students and their families and the bus drivers. Welcome back, Sam. Nice to see you, Lisa. How are you, Ms. So-and-so? Thank you, bus driver, Sarah, or whatever the bus driver's name is. And everybody has to be there. And you have to know the students by name and you have to welcome them. And you should have snacks out because food is a whole big issue in this anyway, but food is a really good icebreaker. So planning all those activities, thinking through how that's going to work, um, ordering the new books and materials. Um, I also think it's helpful during this um, teacher administrator preparation time for people to have a shared reading, a book, a chapter of a book, an article, so that they're all on the same page as to what's happening and then can think about both questions, but then brainstorm together answers that work for your institution in its context, with its students, with its geography, with its demographics, with its language issues, with its history, um, together. So, you know, we, we do college orientation in a really bad way. In the middle of college orientation, we talk about financial aid. And I keep saying, whatever makes you think that students are going to be able to do financial aid questions in the middle of orientation. They're trying to find their way to the bathroom. Right. And they're That's trying rough. to figure out, will I be able to get from my dorm to wherever that classroom is on time? And how about this new roommate I have? <laughs> and by the way, where is the dining hall? Yes. Um, and so to ask them to focus on student aid and um, FAFSA questions, and which are stressful enough. No, 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 that's not the right time. I, you know, so that, so my second suggestion is preparation. The first is connection, the second is preparation. The third is a more out of the box suggestion. And some schools may be willing to do it, some may be doing it now. Um, and they certainly can do it differently. I want to suggest that looping is, if there ever were a time for looping, now is the time to loop. And I guess you should be asking me, what do you mean by 
looping. Yes, because um, I, I think I have an idea considering uh, the schools that well, I worked in. But come uh, on, you're a you're a former principal. Yes, of course you know about looping, and you're a wonderful educator. But for listeners who may not know or just may have slipped their mind, <laughs> looping is when you keep the same group of students together with the same teachers for more than one academic year. Now, looping traditionally has been done in elementary schools, but it most assuredly could be done um, in middle schools, high schools, colleges, and even grad schools. Now, there are lots of reasons to loop, but there are many more reasons to loop now. So part of the problem now is we're not going to know what grade in any official sense any student is in. So if you put groups of students together, it eliminates the prospect of having to decide which students go forward and which ones stay back. And we all know that staying back has consequences that stay with a student psychologically for years and years and years and years. You know, there are many famous people who say, you know, I may be famous, but I still remember I got held back in third grade, right? I mean, right, right. <laughs> um, so, um, and actually, just to be personal here, I started preschool a year early. I started at two, not three. And I started at two because my mother was divorced in an era when there weren't a lot of divorces and um, she was working. So I started at two. And at the end of that year, the school said, well, I think she should stay with the threes this year, which will be the age she is instead of going up to the fours. And do you know that to this day, I still think I was held back because I didn't get to go up to the four-year-old group. I stayed with the three-year-olds. Wow. And I still think about that. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> you know, who knows what would have happened if I'd gone ahead. <laughs> well, we, we could spend some time on that if you'd like. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I might be writing different books. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anyway, um, if you loop, normally you loop two grades, first and second, kindergarten and first are common ones to loop um, because reading happens at such different times and um, at different intervals and different speeds with which kids pick up learning. But one could combine K-1-2, one could combine two, three, four. One could combine one, two, three, four, five, six, depends where the breaks are. And one of the huge advantages of doing this now is that it will give teachers an opportunity to team teach and to have another teacher, two or three in the room. And at a time like this, where they themselves have struggled, that's a huge, huge benefit that they will have someone to bounce ideas off, that they will have someone to share the day with, that they will observe the same kids doing whatever those kids are doing. So I actually think schools should think about smashing down some walls to open up classrooms so that instead of 25 kids, there could be 35, 40, 50 with the right number of teachers. Now, don't have a panic sign here. It's <laughs> yes. not it's not like they're all going to be learning together. They're going to be learning in smaller groups and there are going to be two master teachers and three assistants for each grade. But the advantage of it is that it won't highlight 
who fell behind. And it will enable everyone to either catch up or move ahead. So I really think looping, and looping even in broader ways than we've looped before, makes sense. Now, of course, the word loopy um, is fitting because we're all slightly loopy from what's happening. Yes. But um, I, I, if you need help remembering the word, my third suggestion is looping, but it may strike some as loopy. <laughs> loopy, yes, I like that. It, you know, and I, I got to say this because one of the things that came to mind as I was reading this and as you're talking about it is that it, where it's also going to help is just from the aspect of the, the student then stays with the teacher and as we're getting them accelerated and caught back up and getting them focused on where they are and understanding a little bit better about where they are, um, we're, you're not having to go between the different teachers who may interpret it differently or may see it differently or actually talk with the students a little differently than the person. Absolutely. Before. You get the teacher you left with, but you're not held back. Yeah, I like that. It, it's like you get the best of both worlds. You get the stability and the safety and the structure, but you don't get disrupted by a new teacher in a new classroom with new material where you feel totally at a loss. So if you just knock down a couple walls that separate classrooms or create bridges under them or walkthroughs and by the way tearing them down is way cheaper than building them up as long as they're not a you know a wall that holds up the building but short of that right. i think a change in architecture that's minor like that maybe thinking about preserving some of what's on the walls now so the transition is not so hard maybe thinking about where there could be new things Maybe they create new things in their first week back. Um, so those are my three suggestions. Connection being the first one, preparation being the second one, and looping being the third. I love those suggestions. And, you know, it's the connection is going to help both the adult and the kids get through it. I mean, because we've got to do this together. Otherwise, you know, it's, you know, and it, and, and it takes a little more effort with some kids, as we all know, and with some adults too. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think emphasizing that in the beginning is so important. And then the preparation right now, now we've got time. We can, we can have these virtual meetings and we can spend it because now we've been told you have time to figure this out. And, uh, um, so now we can pick up the pace and start figuring out how we're going to bring it back. Cause I, one of the things I, 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 that's just going through my mind as you're talking about this is that it is highly possible that yes, when we come back, we're going to be thinking, you know, may we do need to have, uh, we, we create our plans like with your third part where you're talking about looping the idea that, um, this way we can get the kids caught up because they're not changing too many teachers. Uh, may we eliminate some of the, uh, the, those barriers that are inside the school that kind of separate and put us in all kinds of little boxes <laughs> um, for lack of a better term and uh, and put us in in a situation where it's it's more about uh, like you said in those bigger groups figuring out exactly where K 
kids are, it's a little more group activity oriented. And, and uh, so with the same adults working with the same kids, you, you can have a little bit more uh, impact without them having to, to change, you know, even like in the, in the traditional high school where you change every, you know, 45, 55 minutes, um, you know, it, eliminating some of that so that you're uh, kind of addressing that need for s that stability part of your five S's. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really like this. Can you, and, and speaking of the S's, can I get you to remind everybody about, uh, about those five S's again before we go? Sure. So <clears throat> the, the idea of the five S's is that this is what trauma takes away. And if trauma takes it away, these are the values or the things we have to think about reinstituting. So it's sort of like when you do the connections and do the preparation and do the looping, these five should always be in your mind. Are they being promoted by the choices you make and the things that you're thinking about doing? So here they are. Trauma takes away structure. And by the way, before I just do that, let me back up. Think first about how our world feels right now the sort of chaos, confusion, level of change, distance, detachment, illness, separation, all the way. Okay, so trauma takes away structure, stability, safety, subtlety, by which I mean personalized. That's like a teacher naming your name. And then um, someone a someone or someone's who's not a parent who genuinely believes in and cares about students. And so you need those five S's. And when they get taken away, you've got to find ways to build them back in. I, I love that. I, you know, the, just want to remind everybody, the, the article, schools and colleges are not light switches. Um, we've got uh, your three strategies, the uh, connection, preparation, and looping, and, and your five S's that, you know, got to be there. And one of the things I'd like you to just comment on as we're, as we're getting ready to close is you say this in your final, as you're closing in the article itself, the idea that we will go back to where we were pre-pandemic is a pipe dream. Can you just explain a little bit about what you mean there? And Sure. Um, you know, we often talk when things are bad about bouncing back. And we use that expression like, oh, we should be resilient and bounce back. The, the actual psychological reality is we never bounce back. We are forever changed by trauma. And the idea is not to bounce back because we can't go there. The idea is to bounce forward, to be comfortable with the new normal and to find ways to navigate the pathway to get from where you are now to a place that allows you to become your best self again and to succeed both academically and psychosocially. So the idea of if I don't talk about it, it'll go away. Um, I just got to get back to where we were. Those aren't going to happen. And to pretend they are is, is not helpful. So I, I want to give you a last example. 
when a soldier returns home from war, we used to say, well, let's get things back where they were before you deployed. And the answer is, that's never going to happen. War has changed the person who's gone. It's also changed the people who've stayed. And so in this sense, too, with a trauma as big as this, as global as this, as wide as this, as personal for many people as this is or will be, we have to figure out how to move forward. So I hope this helps. So much so. So awesome. Uh, Karen, I can't thank you enough. You know, just uh, um, remind people where they can uh, get in touch with you. We got a website or uh, um, sure Um, so you can pre-order the book um trauma doesn't stop at the school door at um it's a really easy um web address it's www.tcpress for teachers college press.com backslash karen dash gross and that can be pre-ordered and um one of the things steve that we should talk about is that there may be ways to do other webinars involving the book where the participants could get a book discount. Um, Yes, please share that. We, we should, you and I should talk about whether that can happen. Okay. Um, I do have a website um, that's been revamped because of all of this. Um, It will be launching within the next two weeks and you can find me at www.karengrosseducation.com. That's really easy too www.karengrosseducation.com. Awesome. And, and through there, they can find, you know, I'll put all these links in my show notes and uh, through the website, they can reach out to you as well as going to tcpress.com, Karen dash, or forward slash Karen dash gross and uh, find the book. And uh, tell us the title again. Sure. Trauma doesn't stop at the school door. And it's awesome. got strategies. It's, it's the second part of the title. You know, there's always a second part after. <laughs> yes. Trauma doesn't stop at the school door. Yes. Is strategies and solutions for educators. Excellent. Pre-K, pre-K through college. Awesome. This is, uh, um, t- timing is perfect and uh, well needed right now. And I appreciate your talk today. And I appreciate you talking with us about the article. And uh, we'll have links in the show notes. And Karen, I can't thank you enough for taking My time pleasure. to share with us some strategies. I hope it helps. Kids need us now. And by the way, one more thank you for reading the wrinkle story. And I hope people really do listen to that. It's pretty extraordinary. Thank you. You're too kind. And I, and the story is awesome. And you got to make sure that those links will be there too with the, with this podcast. So make sure that uh, you check out the, uh, the story about wrinkles doesn't like social distancing. And uh, so Karen, thank you again. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Onward as I'm prone. That's my ending to every email right now. Onward, be safe, stay well. Hey, just want to remind you before you left, don't forget, go to tcpress.com slash Karen gross and look for Trauma Doesn't Stop at the School Door, Strategies and Solutions for Educators Pre-K Through College, because just for being listeners of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, you can use the promo code capital T, capital L, capital L 2020 for 15% off and free shipping. That's right. 
It's Karen's newest book, and it's all about working on helping kids deal with the trauma they're going through. What a timely book for right now. It can be a quite helpful tool. Don't forget, go to tcpress.com slash Karen gross and get uh, your copy today. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.